I am not a big fan of road trips. I get sleepy driving to Austin or Bernie. <laughs> it's really bad. Some, I don't know, it's like the windshield and the sun and the heat and just like the smooth, calming. I don't know, I just don't like road trips. But um, in order for a road trip to be successful for me, there has to be great music. I know some of you love road trips, and I, I can't imagine it's an official road trip without a playlist or some side of some, in the old days, they made these things called mixtapes or, you know, um, but road trips are really awesome when you've got some songs to listen to. We're going to look at Psalms 121 today, which is uh, the second psalm in this group uh, that's called the Psalms of Ascent. Some of you know about the Psalms of Ascent. It's uh, Psalms 120 to, to Psalms 134. It's 15 psalms. And this was Israel's mixtape when they would go to Jerusalem. Um, when you'd make a pilgrimage to a festival, you went up to Jerusalem, both physically, because Jerusalem is set on a hill, but also spiritually, you would travel up to the holy city. And so as you're making your way with your pilgrimage, with your, your Oikos band, there's probably 20 to 70 of you making this trip in order to kind of pass the time and to prepare your heart spiritually, there was these songs that everyone knew by heart, and you'd sing them, the Psalms of the Ascent, because you're going up, right? So we're going to look at three of them over the, over the fall. We're going to start with, verse, with chapter 121. Um, if you want to turn there, it's page 516 in the hard black Bibles that are around you, if you want to turn there. Um, and uh, it's one of my favorite psalms. All these are my favorite psalms, but this one I particularly love. So let's read it together. I'll read it. Which kind of, I don't know, if, if you're looking at the Bible, this is really cool. Um, uh, something Shari and I do, we, I picked it up from my grandparents, is anytime we would go on a, a, a vacation or a travel trip, even if we're flying, before we put the car in drive, we pray for the trip. We pray for travel mercies or we ask for God's help. Because uh, we've learned that the enemy loves to steal our vacations. He just loves to rob us of any time we get joy from the Lord or rest. And so we, we always pray that. And what's interesting is if you look at Psalms 120, which is the first song of ascent, it's a prayer of deliverance and protection, which is pretty cool. So that's, wasn't, I was planning on saying that, but just thought if you wanted an extra tip, that's there for you. Psalms 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I want to read it one more time. I want you to pay attention to how many times it says keep. And I want you to pay attention to the theme of the created order, whether that's the hills or the earth, heavens, the sun and moon. I want you to um, kind of pay attention as we read it one more time. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel 
will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Here's a couple of uh, things. I just want to go through these verses and uh, kind of pull out some really wonderful um, things. I, uh, confession to make is when I was in Colorado this summer, someone handed me, uh, I planned on studying the Psalms of Ascent anyway, and I had a little book I was reading through, and then uh, someone handed me this little laminated card, and it had uh, this, um, this chapter, verses 1 through 2, laminated for me from the message translation, and so I would sit every morning and I would read this. I'd look, I'd lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? And I'd look at the mountains. It's really cool. And um, after really studying it intensely, I realized I really did not know what this psalm was really about. Um, and so I'd like to share with you what I've learned over the last couple of weeks in studying. Um, we often misread this psalm. Um, and some people often misread this in the Bible altogether, and they kind of come with this conclusion that we are God's cosmic pet. Like, oh, we, we're saved now, and so God's not going to let any, if he loves us, nothing bad's going to happen to us. And some people will use this psalm as um, a reasoning for that. Um, and so when you have trouble or heartache or pain or suffering, sickness or hurt, it's easy to go, well, well maybe God's not loving me anymore, or maybe I've messed up, and, and it really causes great um, difficulties for a lot of people. The problem with that theology that we're God's cosmic pet and that if, if he loves us, nothing bad will ever happen to us is not only kind of the opposite of what the scriptures teach, it's also opposite to our lived experience and it creates for many people a difficult crisis of faith. Here's what the Psalms and Proverbs teach us. The same sun that shines on the godly also shines on the ungodly. We all shop at the same HEB. We, we pay the pr same price for milk. We don't get a discount on gas just because we're God's children, right? We, we, we live in the same, create, so you, wait, is that a thing? Get, am I missing out on the gas discount? We all experience mold and mountain cedar and ragweed, which has been kicking my tail lately. We all get buried in the same dirt. And so what happens is people have this experience if they believe this. And, and I'd, I'd argue many of us subtly believe it. it. We might not even be honest enough to believe it. But there's basically three responses that happen when someone functionally believes, oh, I'm God's cosmic pet and nothing should ever bad happen. The first response that many people have is God's not real. And the reasoning goes like this. If he were real, since he's a God of love and he's a good God, he would have intervened since he's sovereign. And since this bad thing happened to me or since I got sick or since my loved one died or since I got cancer or whatever, God's not real. Many people, I mean, so many people have this. It's a really awful conclusion. A worse conclusion is the second one, which is basically, oh, I believe God is real, but somehow I've ticked him off, or he's bored with me, and he's moved on to another Christian, and he's helping some, someone else in another part of the world, and he's just forgotten about me, and he's not aware that all this stuff has happened to me, or he's aware and he doesn't care. It usually leads to self-pity, self-centeredness, sulking, which is just not helpful for anybody. We forget 
that that's really the opposite of most of the stories in the scripture. I'll read through that. The third response to when the stuff hits the fan is, I think, the response the Bible teaches us, which is to say, not God is not real, or not God is real, but he's bored with me, but to say, God is my help, and he'll get me through this. Years ago, I was uh, going through a really hard time, and um, I needed to go sit on the back row at a church and just receive for, for about a year. And this is probably 2012, and uh, Charnay went to Oak Hills, and Max was doing, I love Max, he was doing a series called You'll Get Through This. And it was just this, it was like, hey, stuff happens, God will get you through it. And uh, a mentor of mine, um, she, uh, her name is Marianne, she's 70, she's a wonderful spiritual mother to me, she would always tell me, Drew, God will get you through, or God will pull you through if you don't mind the pulling. That's what she always say. You'll get it on the way home. God will pull you through if you don't, if you don't mind the pulling. And so um, what I want to do is encourage us this morning to lift our eyes, not to these lesser things, but to lift our eyes to the maker of heaven and earth. Um, the Bible's honest about hard times. Adam and Eve had a son that murdered the other. Can you imagine having a child who was murdered? Can you imagine the heartache of having a child who was murdered by the other child, the one you got left? Just a few chapters into the Bible. Abraham and Sarah couldn't get pregnant for 100 years. The government tried to kill Moses when he was an infant. Joseph was hated by his brother, sold into slavery, spent 13 years away from his father, suffered from false accusations from his boss's wife, sent, spent years in prison, all because of the sins of other people, his brothers. It had nothing to do with what he did. And yet, at the very end of Genesis, I think it's Genesis 45 or 50, around there, Joseph says, to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God has meant for good. We're still in Genesis at the story. David was called, who's called uh, the man after God's own heart. He was appointed to be king, and the, the king at the time spent years trying to kill him and had him on the run. Isaiah, who is considered usually one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. The book, the book of Isaiah is called the Gospel in the Old Testament. It's a really great book. You know how Isaiah clocked out? They put him in a hollow tree and sawed him in half. That's how Isaiah was killed, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, sawed in half. John the Baptist, Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest man ever born of woman. He was beheaded. All the apostles were killed for their faith. They tried to kill John the apostle by boiling him. He just wouldn't die, so eventually they threw him away on the Isle of Patmos, and he still didn't die. Like, you know it's bad when they try to kill you in the camp, so they just throw you away. I literally got in a boat, came up to the Isle of Patmos, didn't even dock, threw him out into the water. That's, how they, that's what they did to John closest person to Jesus. We can go to Paul. We can go through the first several hundred years of Christian history. We can go to China or places like Iraq or Afghanistan right now. Putting your faith in Christ doesn't um, exempt you from pain and suffering hard times. The Bible is really, really honest about pain and suffering. I mean, if there's one thing that's constant from Genesis to Revelation, it's that there's pain and suffering in this world, and yet God is near to the brokenhearted, and that he pulls them through it if they won't mind the pulling. Let's keep this verse one through two. Can you put that up there, buddy? Uh, I lift my eyes to the, to the hills. Where does my help come from? I should probably start on my outline. Um, so some people read 121, and they have this, this problem. But right here, there's a question. Where does my help come from? which assumes that you need help. You don't ask, where's your help come from if you don't need help? 
So off the gate, what you got to know is this psalm, this song, this prayer is for people who are in distress. You will experience distress at some point in your life, even if you're not experiencing it right now, which probably most of you are. When you get that moment where you need help, um, this song is for you, Psalms 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So what's great about this is there's, there's two general interpretations of I lift my eyes to the hills or some translations I like better say the mountains because mountains seem more like majestic than the hills. I lift my eyes up to the hills. So the positive thing is if you've ever been to a place with mountains, there's these things called mountains. They're beautiful. They're big. They're majestic. They're immovable. They're stable. And so some people read this, and it's, it's okay. This is what I, I, this summer, I looked at the mountains, and I said, I lift my eyes to, not to those mountains that are stable and majestic and they're awesome, but I lift my eyes to something better than that, which is the maker of the mountains, which is not a terrible translation of that. Or there's a, there's a negative translation of that, which is, I lift my eyes up to the hills. What could be up there? Bears, wolves. Mountain goats, robbers, thieves. Where's my help come from? So some people, when they lift their eyes up to the mountains, they get a little nervous about what mayhem is waiting up there for them. And so those are two general translations. Um, now, we live in the times of Tesla. I coined that this week. I don't think anyone's ever said I don't know. And so when I look to the mountains, I see like ski slopes, and I see gondolas, and I see people going to the mountains for pleasure, and for rest, and for fun, and for adventure. But if you're Israel, and if you are going up to the mountains to worship, you don't think of ski slopes and gondolas. and You think of worship. Think of how constant mountains and hills were. Um, mountains were the place of worship in the Bible. Someone, one of my favorite quotes, someone said, if you take all the mountains and meals out of the Bible, you'd have a pamphlet, which is their way of saying, that the, the place of the mountain and the sacrament of the meal is so, so constant in the story in the Bible. Where does Abraham take Isaac to sacrifice and worship the Lord? It goes up the mountain. Where does Moses meet with God to receive the Ten Commandments? The mountain. You just guess mountain on any of these. You're, you're, you're going to win. Where did Jesus give the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever told? The mountain, hence the name, the Sermon on the Mount. Where did the tra transfiguration happen? On the mountain, even the crucifixion was on this little bitty like outcrop, which is kind of a hill. What Israel understood is that God's presence was like up there, and so they'd go up to the mountain to meet with God. But they weren't the only people who did that. Pagan worship and the worship of other gods was also really prevalent up there. There were three that I want to highlight. One was the worship of, of Baal, and then I don't have the names for you because I didn't remember them, and it's not really important. But there was also um, a sun god and a moon god that you would worship. And so if you would go up to the mountains, what you would see is all these like groves that were planted or these shrines or temples and all these different other people that were worshiping to all these other gods. And so the thinking was similar like this. If you um, needed a good crop that year, you would go up to the mountains to that temple where like, the god of fertility or the god of agriculture is. You'd go to like College Station or something, and you would go there, and you would 
um, bring some sort of sacrifice and commune with that God in, in some way, and he would confer his blessing on your agricultural system. Or the sun, if the sun was a problem, you'd go to the sun God's temple. Or if the moon was a problem, you'd go to the moon temple, you know, or, or Baal, so you do this, okay? Now, um, so what Psalms 121 is saying, if I were to distill Psalms 121 in one word, and you only gave me two letters, Psalms 121 says no. That's what Psalms 121 says. When you're in need, when you need help, when you're in times of suffering or stress or whatever, Psalms 121, the message of Psalms 121 is no, I will not lift my eyes to the hills. And what the hills represent are all these lesser false forms of help. No, I lift my eyes to the maker of heaven and earth. Now, I want to introduce this, this metaphor view of the mountain. What's your mountain? What's your hills? What's that place that you run to when you need help or comfort? Now, I could list off a ton of them, but um, the famous one that many people use is Netflix and a bottle of wine and like binge watching is a form of a mountain for some people. You're like tired, you're burned out from work, or you need some sort of relief, and so it's all right, we're going to watch you know, whatever, The Walking Dead, and we're going to binge it, and we're going to open a bottle of wine, and it's relief for sure, but it's not restoration. It's just a, a break from something. Uh, some people might use work. They might double down on work, and they, they go to their success to comfort them, or relationships, or sex, or substances, or Dr. Pepper, or, you know, the cowboy. Like, all those are false, right? Or Whataburger, the Wada chicken. You know, like, we all or social media, or politics, or whatever, like, we all have some form of a, quote, mountain, that when we're in need, we run to that lesser thing, and we know it doesn't, or shopping, or Amazon, or whatever, okay? Tools, I like to buy tools, they make me feel good, you know? Like, we all go to these things. So, that's a question, you don't have to answer it, but what's that mountain for you? What's that hill for you, that when you're, when you're um, under pressure, when you're experiencing unfavorable circumstances, or you're sick, or you're whatever, suffering, where do you run? Where do, you, where do your eyes go to? What Psalms 121 says is, no, I lift my eyes up above the earth, above the stars, above the sun, above the moon, to the one who made that. Verses three through four, is really, this is where it gets super saucy, and really, um, really good. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. This is a detail we read, we rush right past it, but it's interesting to me that the psalmist doubles down on this idea that our God will not slumber. While we sleep, God doesn't sleep. You have to ask the question, why would the psalmist repeat himself here? Now, what's awesome, this is so great. I love this. And um, this warning, the Bible is about to not be PG, okay? So one of the gods that was worshipped on the mountains was Baal, okay? And the, if, you, if you research Baal, what you find out is he's legendary for orgies. And you would go to Baal 
to his temple, and you would bring some sort of offering, and there were male and women prostitutes that you would buy and engage with, and you would get drunk. And the legend of Baal was that he loved this so much that he often got hung over and would fall asleep, and he would slumber. You gotta know that about Baal, and if you know that about Baal, if you know the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 18, I'm not making this up. I think we have it. Do we have it up here? This is great. At, and at noon, Elijah, this is the prophets of Baal or Baal's um, priest, whose job was to wake him up. At, and at noon, Elijah mocked him saying, cry aloud for he is a God. Either he's musing or he's relieving himself or he is on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. But if you know the story in, in, in 1 Kings, Elijah and the prophets of Baal are in this battle of like, who's God's greater? And the prophets of Baal are like asking Baal to come down and consume this fire, and he's, nothing's happening. And so Elijah is like poking the bear. He's saying, maybe he's still sleeping. Maybe he's in the bathroom. And he's, it's just awesome, okay? Now, if you jump to, here's where it gets real, Jeremiah 3 this is incredible. Jeremiah 3, verse 23. Jeremiah picks up on this. Our worship of idols on the hills and our religious orgies on the mountains are a delusion. This is in the Bible. Only in the Lord our God will Israel ever find salvation. You see how this ties to Psalms 121. So on that verse, he who keeps you will not slumber. When he doubles down, he says, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber or sleep. This is what the psalmist is doing. He's picking up on what Elijah's talked about. He's kind of pointing to what Jeremiah will talk about. And he's saying, you know, when you lift your eyes to the hills, there's this one guy up there who, like, who, he's just drunk and hung over all the time. And he's got to be, like, woken up. But our God never falls asleep. This is what it's talking. Isn't that great? I love it. Okay. Now, it gets really cool here. Verses 5 through 6. It says, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. We're going to come back to that at the very end. Remember, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. You can't forget that. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Keep. Some former sense of the word keep is mentioned six times in eight verses. It's a theme that you can't miss. And it's reminding us that God is our keeper. He's the one who holds us and defends us, even when we're in pain and suffering. Now, the keep, some of you might not know that the keep is at the heart of every medieval castle. It was double-walled. It was kind of like the safe room. Is, is, you know, like in uh, Texas and Oklahoma, we've got like tornado shelters. It's this place you go where no harm can get to you. Um, this is like the keep, right? So when it says, God's your keeper, they're saying he's your storm shelter. He's that place you can go in, and the concrete walls are so thick, no wind or rain or tornado or, or thief can, can ever get in. This is what that, that's doing. What I love is the imagery and the poetry here of the sun and the moon because it means se there's several different layers. Uh, this verse is like an ogre. There's just like onion layers in here, all right? That's a Shrek joke. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. One, the first definition of that is that God's thorough. And whatever's going on, day or night, whatever season, he's there, okay? What's greater than that is a second translation of this or the second interpretation of it, is that if you've ever been out in the heat on the mountain, um, like, this, like sunstroke and like heat exhaustion and dehydration is a very real thing because of the altitude and all that. And so you've got to drink a lot of water. Um, and uh, when I was in the mountains this summer, I was like, 
every 10 minutes I'm putting on sunscreen and I had the lotion and then I put the spray on and then I put more lotion and then an hour later I put some more spray and I, was, I did not get sunburned. It was a success. But I was really stressed about getting sunburned on the mountain. And then around seven at night, it would drop into the 30s. So our days in, in July in Colorado were like 70, perfect in the day, but the sun is like bright. But at night, it'd get into the 30s. And so when the moon would come out, you know, the, the, the temperatures change swiftly and you gotta be prepared. Um, so that, that's, that's a translation. But my favorite translation, or I keep saying translation, interpretation, is something that I didn't know until this week, and it's a third one. And this relates to um, the sun and the moon god who were on the temple, or who were on the mount. What people feared big time was being, quote, moonstruck. Now, we don't say that today. We say the word lunatic. Because you see the word luna, moon, gets in there. So there was a fear in the ancient world and it, that the moon, and some people still, like my mom used to say this, oh man, people are out driving crazy tonight it's because it's a full moon. I'm like, no mom, I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> but there's this superstitious belief that the moon has these adverse effects on your mood and your emotional health. And so when people were crazy or emotionally distressed, you'd say they were a lunatic, not to be like um, discrimination or discriminating to them, but you're, you're basically the moon has struck them. They were a lunatic. They were a lunatic. They're crazy because the moon is what people do. So what would happen is you would go up to the mountain, you'd go up to the hills, you'd find the there's a moon goddess. You go bring an offering. There were male and women prostitutes to engage with the, through, and and you'd receive the promise that the moon would not strike you and you wouldn't go crazy. So when the psalmist says. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. This is what it's talking about. It's really great. Verse 7 and 8. Again, keeper. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. See the thoroughness of that. From this time forth and evermore. Okay. Now, this is the verse that a lot of people have um, some struggles with because we experience evil. We experience tragedy. We're all a phone call away from our knees. We're not guaranteed the American dream. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed this afternoon. And so this, these two verses pose a lot of um, conflict for people internally because it clearly says the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. But our lived experience is sometimes we, we struggle with things and things happen. I think not to um, easily dismiss that tension, God promises that we will not be harmed by evil. But he does not promise that we would not be hurt by evil. And there is a very, very big difference between hurt and harm. We often confuse the two or we make them synonymous with one another. Now, I want to go on a slight millennial rant. And I'm a millennial, I was born in 83, so I feel like I can. 
And uh, sometimes older people say this, and, our, and young people can't receive it because we're millennial. Um, one of the first lessons every young person has to learn is life is hard. <laughs> Life's hard. If you don't know that life is hard, and if you don't come to grips that life is hard, it's going to be a hard life. Um, someone recently told me, he said, if a man doesn't learn this early on, he is primed for destruction because he will try to um, uh, avoid anything that is hard or that has pain. And the reality is the greatest things in life do not come without pain. There is no gain without pain. I think women tend to understand this way more intuitively than men, which is why they kind of single out the man there. But life is hard, Okay. And so one of the things I see in my friends and even in myself and in our generation as young people is that if something hurts because we've been helicoptered by a lot of our parents, um, we want to like shy away from something because life's not supposed to hurt. And it's just not true. Um, there are times things hurt and it's meant to like shun you away from that. But so many times there are things that hurt and what hurts is the self crying, saying, oh, that hurts. My self-centeredness is being stepped on. My pride is being stepped on. Or my opinions or my preferences are being stepped on. And so I want to offer up that to you, is to make a distinction between th things that hurt and things that are harmful to you. Okay? God does not promise that you won't be hurt. He does promise that you won't be harmed. Um, there's a great little quote here. I forget who said it. I wish I could find the source. Every great leader in the kingdom of God walks with a limp. And if you have a leader who doesn't have a limp or some pain or some wounds that they're honest about, I wouldn't trust them. Because they either haven't been broken or humbled yet, or they have and they're not authentic and they're lying about it. Every great leader in the kingdom, go through the, the history, go through the scriptures, every great leader has a limp. Um, I'll give you a few examples and we'll move on. Um, I, um, I've shared this many times, and I kind of hate sharing it because it, it's like a go-to for me, but it's just real. And that is uh, Shari and I, uh, had a miscarriage um, on our wedding anniversary in 2011. It was one of the worst days of our life. It's always how you want to celebrate your anniversary is by losing a baby. And um, it hurt, but it did not harm us. And immediately, we turned our attention to the Lord and with, with some close people around us and through um, help of my counselor and through a lot of prayer, we ask God to turn that hurt into something that helps and heals people. And we just refuse to say it's not going to harm us. It stinks. It hurts. It's painful. We don't understand why. We won't understand why this side of heaven. Okay. And we just said, Lord, use this to help people. And so there's times in your life when you have a hurt and you have the choice. You can... Uh, let it harm you, even though that's not God's desire. Or you can say, God, would you turn this hurt into a help for other people? And he does it every time. He loves to turn brokenness into beautiful things. He loves to turn um, mourning into dancing. 
Um, I love those scriptures about the Lord. And so I want to encourage you, if you have something that hurts in your life, ask God to turn that, to protect you from harm, but to also turn the hurt into a help for other people. Our church is filled with people who are banged up from the church. You know why? Because I was banged up from the church, and I didn't allow the enemy to, um, to turn me away from that. And I said, Lord, I want to give my life to creating a church that's healthy. And so, so many people come through these doors and say, man, I was given up on Jesus, or I was given up on the church, or what, and they tell, they tell stories every week about it, and I always just sit back and go, it hurts. But I've allowed the Lord to say, hey, I'm going to use that to help people. And so many of you, I know, because I hear from you, if you're helped by this ministry and by our church and by our, our, our posture and our tone and the atmosphere in here that's warm and cozy, it's because Shari and I have refused to let something that hurt harm us. And we said, Lord, would you help so many people? So I want to encourage you in that, okay? Last one, last thing, and then we'll be done. Y'all been good, good listeners today. I want to um, do, sometimes you can do this, it's great. You can take two, um, two parts of the scripture and you can um, kind of match them together. I'm going to take um, verse one, and then I think it's verse six. I'm going to put those together, or verse five, one and five. Where does my help come from is the question. I don't, know if we, I don't know if I put this up there. I don't think I did. Where will my help come from is the question. And then the answer is real subtly down there. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. So many of us miss this read, reading. I think it's verse 1 and verse 5. Where will my help come from? I lift my eyes not to the moon, not to the sun, not to the God of the, of the sun God or the moon God, not to Baal. I lift my eyes to the God who made the sun and moon and the earth and the heavens. It's great. I lift my eyes up. Where will my help come from? And then the psalmist tells us where help comes from. Right here. Right here. Now, I didn't understand this, and I, um, someone shared a wonderful story that the light bulb went off in my mind. And s- some of you know uh, Larkin is over here. Lark- Larkin, raise your hand. Raise the other hand. There we go, the prosthetic hand. Uh, Larkin had uh, an incident, not an accident, an incident in the military, had an explosion, lost his hand and his legs, and many of you have seen him. And um, I've just grown to love him and Rachel. And Rachel was telling me um, that, that something, it's hard for, for Larkin to, to walk. We have this picture that, that they sent me. Uh, let's throw this up here of Larkin. Um, he's super, it's super awkward for him right now. Go back. First one. Here we go. So this is... Uh, like on a hike somewhere, and he's got his prosthetic um, uh, legs on, and he's got like one arm, and look where, where he's looking for help, the handrail. And he's able to negotiate this terrain and the danger. And he's got one limb, but there's help on his right hand. What a great, great, where does my help come from? He is your shade on your right hand, okay? Now, next slide is a picture of a handrail. It's a little bit more cleaner. This is the psalm. When you are going up a path, and it's steep, and the, the, the terrain is crazy, and you don't feel like you've got the legs or the arms, and you don't have the strength to do that, and you say, where does my help come from? God is with you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is before you and behind you. He's above you and below you. He's in you. He's all around you. He's on your right 
and he's on your left. When you go through a hard time and you need help, where will your help come from? Lift your eyes above all the mountains, in your, above Netflix, above politics, above substances or sex or relationships or whatever. Lift your eyes up. And what you find is that that God is right here. And all you have to do, easier said than done, is stretch out your hand and grab him, and he's with you. I want to encourage you to do that this morning. And any day that you have a hard time, any day that you need help, lift your eyes up and lift your eyes right here and do what, what Larkin does. And often, Rachel will say, when he's, when he's really um, struggling, he'll say, can I get a hand? He's asking for help. And so when you're in a tough time, just say, can I get a hand, Lord? He's right there. Father, we're so grateful that our help does not come from the moon or the sun or from Baal, from any other false god. That our help comes from the maker of the moon, the maker of the sun, the maker of the mountains. Your name is Yahweh. You are Emmanuel, God with us. You're before and behind us. You're above and below us. You're inside of us. You're all around us. You're on our right. Christ, you're on our left. Able and ready to give a hand. Jesus, we lift our eyes to you. And we ask, help us receive. Lord, we thank you for being so tangibly present in this room this morning, for being here with us, for being faithful to your promise that when your people gather together in your name, you are with them, that you inhabit the praises of your people. And Lord, I just feel that you have lifted us up to your place through singing, through confessing, through hearing your word. We have ascended to the place of God. And we just say thank you, God, for lifting us up, for giving us a hand when we didn't have the legs or the energy to do it. In return, as an act of sacrifice and thanksgiving and praise, we return, we lift our hearts to you. We lift our minds to you. We lift our attention to you. Above the mountains, above the sun, above the moon, above the stars and the galaxies, we lift our hearts to you, God. Thank you, Jesus for stretching out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come into your saving embrace.